In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. To Out of the Box Radio. I'm your host, Christine Blasdale, and uh, as you may or may not know, this week marks the 54th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in Dallas. And my guest this hour is uh, an absolute, I I consider him an expert on the JFK assassination, as do many other people, and uh, he's been involved in hundreds, if not thousands, of conferences on the subject, uh, and he's written many, many columns on it. Jim Fetzer is a former Marine Corps officer, is a McKnight Professor Emeritus of the Duluth campus of the University of Minnesota and co-editor of MoonRockBooks.com. He is uh, joining us today for this entire hour to talk about this particular subject matter and, uh, and on the anniversary, again, the 54th anniversary of the assassination of our President John F. Kennedy. Welcome to Out of the Box Radio, Jim Fetzer. Oh, thanks, Christine. I'm delighted to be with you. Yes, I have chaired or co-chaired uh, five national conferences, uh, Minneapolis 1999, uh, Duluth, Dallas 2000, Dallas 2001, uh, Duluth 2003, and Santa Barbara on the occasion of the 50th. Uh, Jack and Jackie at the honeymoon in Santa Barbara. I've uh, published now four books on JFK where I bring together the best experts on different aspects of the case. The first, Assassination Science, published in 1998, brought together a world authority on the human brain who is also an expert on wound ballistics. Bob Livingston, MD, who founded the first department of neuroscience at the University of California, San Diego. Uh, David W. Manick, MD, PhD. David has a PhD in physics from Wisconsin, an MD from Michigan, board certified in radiation oncology, which of course is a treatment of cancer using x-ray therapy so that he's an expert on the interpretation of x-rays. Charles Crenshaw, MD, who was in trauma room number one when JFK's moribund body was brought in, and then two days later was responsible for the care and treatment of his alleged assassin, Lee Oswald. Jack White, a legendary photo and film analyst. Uh, John P. Costello, another PhD in physics, this time with expertise in electromagnetism, the properties of light and images of moving objects, where he did brilliant work. He has a tutorial online you can access at assassinationscience.com, my very first uh, website, where John and I co-edited assassinationresearch.com, which is a journal for advanced study of the death of JFK, 
And uh, uh, that was the very first, shattering the cover-up by showing that the autopsy x-rays had been altered to conceal a fist-sized blowout at the back of the head, that there were actually indications of a second shot to the head that were internal to the x-rays, the distribution of metallic particles, that the brain shown in diagrams and photographs in the National Archives was not uh, uh, the brain of JFK, and that the Zapruder film has been massively edited indeed based upon my research as of this date, uh, the the original film would have included more than twice as many frames as the 487 that are in the extant version. They took out 100 frames turning from Houston on to Elm because the driver, William Greer, swung out too widely, nearly hit a concrete abutment, had to hesitate and get back into line, which would have shaken the public's confidence in the protection provided the president by the Secret Service where in fact we have over 15 indications of Secret Service complicity in setting him up for the hit, and another 400, which had to conceal the fact that the driver, William Greer, pulled the limousine to the left into a halt after bullets began to be fired to make sure JFK would be killed. He was hit in the back of the head by a shot fired from the Dow Tax, slumped forward, Jack eased him back up and was looking him right in the face when he was hit in the right temple by a frangible or exploding bullet that shut up shockwaves that blew his brains out the back of his his head to, to the left of rear, where when the impacted motorcycle patrolman Bobby Hargis riding there, he initially thought he himself had been shot. Obviously, they had to take all that out. Uh, Larry Rivera has now recovered interviews that Fred Newcomb, a first-generation student of JFK, had conducted with the four motorcycle escort officers and their supervisor, Stavis Ellis, and has discovered that during the stop, uh, Hargis actually got off his bike, ran between the two limos, which would have been impossible had they been in motion, up toward the grassy knoll from which he believed shots had been fired. Officer Jackson on the right motored up the grassy knoll until his bicycle fell over, and then he proceeded on foot. Meanwhile, five agents dismounted the Secret Service Cadillac and surrounded the presidential. One took a chunk of skull from a little boy and threw it into the back seat while Clint Hill was rushing forward to push Jackie back into the back seat. She climbed out on the trunk after a big chunk of Jack's skull and brains. Then Clint lay down across their bodies and was the first to peer into this gaping, bloody fist-sized hole at the back of JFK's head, which was obviously mortal. He was dead instantly, turned to his colleagues, gave him a thumbs down. All of that had to be removed. And when they did so and contracted the number of frames, they, he, although Jack had slumped to the left, they took out so many frames, it appeared to be a violent back into the left. So we have another 400 frames removed there, in other words... The original film would have included over a thousand frames, where today we have 487, and those we have have been edited and revised themselves by, for example, blacking out the blowout at the back of the head. In the early frames, like uh, 3, 14, 15, 16, 17, where it occurred to me that it might be the case they'd overlook that the blowout could be seen in later frames, and when I searched, I found in frame 374, you can actually see the blowout at the back of the head. Uh, oh, this is when Jackie is just starting to climb out onto the trunk. And when you compare that with David Mannick's brilliant dis- dissection of the autopsy x-ray, where he delineates area P, where it had been patched to conceal that blowout to the back of the head, 
There's a very striking correspondence between Area P and the blood, as you can actually see it at the back of the head. Uh, so that, that was the first of my three original books on JFK, the second, Murder in Dealey Palaza, an overview, three essays by David Mantic, uh, Douglas Horn contributes about how we know the film was taken back to the National Photographic Interpretation Center already on Saturday, the, uh, the 23rd, uh, that the substitute was brought from uh, Rochester, New York, where the CIA has a secret uh, film lab called Hawkeye Weeks on Sunday, and the replacement mm-hmm. of the original was made. And, and a third, all on the Great Zapruder film hoax, uh, Christine, where I'll just tie off by adding, yes, I've done over a thousand interviews on JFK, many presentations you can find uh, on online, where the most recent is on the Brian Rue R-U-H-E show, uh, just put in Brian Rue JFK, and you'll find a two-hour overview where I present all the evidence. I told my listeners that you were an expert on JFK assassination. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Um, did Jim, I, I, you know, every single, I would say every year when I bring up this subject, and, you know, I've worked in radio, I have... Um, worked with a lot of very fine journalists in their own right, uh, uh, people who claim to want to, uh, you know, bring out the truth and um, for, for justice. And I'll tell you, and I know you've encountered this as well, along the lines of even the progressive media, this is like they do not want to, they don't want to look at it, they don't want to admit it. This is something that I, I mean myself, and I know you as well, I've been labeled a conspiracy nut, tinfoil hat wearing, blah, blah, blah. And with this mountain, I mean, in the first five minutes of this show, you laid out enough information that a child with, you know, with no formal education would look at this and go, oh, my God. I mean, this was like overkill. They wanted to make sure that this man... And it was a public execution as well, which I think was a, psych- a psyops. I mean, the psychological um, uh, impact that that had on the nation and as children coming. I came, uh, I was born in 1964, and the uh, trauma of that event was still present when when I came into this world. So my question is, is to you at this on this anniversary, the 54th anniversary of the assassination. How do you handle people who say, oh, come on now, it was Lee Harvey Oswald, it was a lone patsy, uh, and, and get over it, uh, uh, you know, this is just a conspiracy theory. What do you say to those people? Well, they're, they're either unfamiliar with the evidence or cognitively impaired. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Christine, that the very day of the assassination, NBC ran a five-hour coverage and during that five hours, including with Chet Huntley, among the most famous newsmen in the country at the time, uh, they explained that uh, the president had been shot in the throat. This was a, a small, clean puncture wound. Uh, it, when Malcolm Kildoff, the acting press secretary, announced the death of the president at 1 p.m., he pointed to his right temple and said it was a simple matter of a bullet right through the head. NBC would also report that, attributing that fan finding to Admiral George Berkeley, the president's personal physician. Uh, Malcolm Perry and Kent Clark, where Perry had performed a simple tracheostomy incision through this small, clean puncture wound, and where Kemp Clark was the director of neurosurgery who'd, who'd called, uh, called uh, the president uh, uh, dead. 
reported to a press conference known as the Parkland Press Conference at 1.33 different times that the bullet was coming at him, that it had been a wound of entry. And that was being broadcast on NBC uh, and the other networks were doing similar reports, but the one with which I'm especially familiar is NBC. So that these two wounds were widely broadcast in radio and television. In fact, I mentioned uh, Bob Livingston, MD. He was the scientific director of the National Institutes for Neurological Diseases and Blindness uh, at the uh, National Institutes for Health, which are located in Bethesda, across the street from Bethesda Naval Hospital. So because he was an expert in wound ballistics, having supervised an emergency medical hospital for injured Okinawans and Japanese prisoners of war during World War II, He recognized from the description of the small, clean puncture wound in the throat that it was a wound of entry. So he determined that he would call the the pathologist who would be responsible for conducting the the autopsy at Bethesda, uh, Commander James Humes, and he reached him through the officer of the day, and he explained to Humes that from this description he was, uh, it was clear that this was a wound of entry, and therefore... Uh, Humes needed to be very careful in dissecting the neck because, and this is so ironic in retrospect, if there were any evidence of shots from behind, then there's proof of at least two shooters and therefore a conspiracy. Believe it or not, the FBI interrupted the conversation. They weren't allowed to converse further. But it's very, very interesting that later in the evening, Mm -hmm. Humes would call Livingston and ask him what the wound would have looked like had it been a wound of exit. And Bob described it for him, and in fact, it turns out Humes used that information to change the wound physically into a wound of exit, given Bob's description. I mean, it's uh, this grotesque when we get through the history of it. As, as the story started to trickle in that the shooter had been above and behind, Frank McGee, who is nobody's fool, says, this is incongruous. How can the man have been shot from in front, from behind? So that even, you know, the very first day, the day of the actual shooting, these two wounds, both of which had been fired by shots from the front, actually the throat shot had passed through the windshield in transit, and from the right front, fired from the intersection of the triple underpass and the picket fence, where there's an above-ground sewer opening, both those shots had been fired from in front, so that when, in fact, the, the government official account started to, you know, come in, where the FBI and the Secret Service concluded already the day of the shooting there had been three shots that Jack had been hit in the back, about five and a half inches below the collar, just to the right of the spinal column, that Conley had been hit in the back, and that Jack had been hit in the back of the head. If you disregard the shot to Conley and just look at the shots to Jack, you got four shots. You got a shot to the back, which actually was the first hit. You got the shot to the throat, which actually was the second hit. You got the shot to the back of the head, which actually was the third hit, and then you got your shot to the right temple, which was the fourth hit on JFK. There were at least eight to ten shots fired altogether, including multiple misses, which I can inventory as you may like. But the fact is, we already knew that day, or within two days, if you were paying mm-hmm. attention, that Jack had been hit himself four different times from multiple different directions, and therefore a conspiracy was not in doubt. Oh, but don't you know that was that one magic bullet? That was that one magic bullet, Jim Fetzer, that magically bounced around all over the place 
Um, and and this was presented the magic bullet theory, and if you if you can um, uh, let our listeners know a little bit about this. But this theory was uh, was presented to the public, and cognitive dissonance. I don't know uh, the, the 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 power that people in authority or our politicians have. Or I, I don't know, but people bought it. Let's talk about this magic bullet theory. That well, it's very interesting as to whether or not people bought it, but it, you know they were certainly trying to sell it. So you yeah. know you, yeah. you you got that <laughs> right. This was, yeah. this was what the government was marketing. Here's what happened, Christine. It turned out that one of the shots had missed. It hit a distant curbing and injured a bystander by the name of James Tag. Now. Since the government had committed itself to only three shots, once it was discovered that Tag had been injured, I mean, his, his chin was actually cut by a piece of concrete from the curbing, they had to now account for all the wounds based upon only two shots. Well, they got the tobacco of the head killing him, so they have to play with what else they've got. They, they've got a, a wound to the throat that's an entry wound. They got the blowout at the back of the head. Uh, they deal with that uh, by the subterfuge of actually, believe it or not, taking a cranial saw to the skull of JFK and enlarging the wound at Bethesda to make it look more like something that might have been caused by a shot from the rear entering low at the base and exiting at the top, so that Commander Humes would later testify during his uh, deposition by the Assassination Records Review Board, a five-civilian uh, member board that was created by Congress in 1992 with the author- in the wake of the resurgence of interest generated by Oliver Stone's film JFK to declassify documents and records held by the CIA, the FBI, the Secret Service, Office of Naval Intelligence, and so forth, where only the president could override them. George Herbert Walker Bush, then president, adamantly opposed it, but it passed anyway, so he refused to appoint the members to the panel which had to await the incoming Clinton administration, 18 months delay, basically giving the agencies a chance to clean up their act, to sanitize their files, before they were appointed, it had now a deadline of 25 years for the release of all documents, which is why now in 2017 we have the final release of documents. There are some interesting items there I'll uh, discuss with you. Uh, but in the, the meanwhile, the, the Warren Commission was troubled and had to mess with the back wound and somehow account for the throat wound. So they had Gerald Ford, who was then a junior member of the Warren Commission, redescribe the back wound from his uppermost uh, uh, back, which was already uh, a falsification because it had actually been five and a half inches below the collar to the right of the spinal column, to the base of the back of the neck, and to maintain that the bullet had gone in the base of the back of the neck, passed through the neck without hitting any bony structures, and come out the throat. See, so now the throat wound, which was in fact an entry wound, is turned into an accident wound, and then go into the back of Connolly. So you no longer need that separate shot to John Connolly. In fact, Connolly may have been hit uh, as many as three different times, as I can reconstruct. But that's what they tried to foist off on the American people. They ignored the entry wound in the right temple, they enlarged the back of the head wound, which was a fist-sized blowout. There was a shot to the back of the head uh, where David Mantig has been able to determine its entry from beveling in a chunk of bone known as the Harper Fragment. It may have been that piece of skull that was taken from a little boy who was returned to Dealey Plaza and then found the following day by a medical student by the name of Billy Harper. 
who had a relative at Methodist Hospital who photographed and determined it was a chunk of occipital parietal bone from the back of the head. And where uh, uh, they, they then, uh, therefore, could account for all of that by creating this huge missing back of the head, which is described with mathematical detail in the Bethesda autopsy report, completely contradicting the dimensions and size. It was a fist-sized wound. If you double up your fist and reach behind the back of your head, that's approximately where it was located. That's a very good uh, close uh, facsimile to what we're talking about. Uh, uh, but then they claimed, you see, now uh, that the bullet had entered the base of the back of the neck, traversed, gone into the back of Conley, shattered her rib, exited his chest, hit his right wrist, wound up in his left eye. When shown the bullet that was alleged to have performed all these feats, Robert Shaw, M.D., who was caring for John Conley, said he thought it was most unlikely that bullet could have performed all those feats because he'd removed more lead from John Conley's wrist than was missing from that bullet. But that is the feat that they sought to foist off on the American people. It's called the magic bullet because if you know where it actually entered, right, then it's taking this dramatic shift, which is a physiological impossibility, coming out his his neck and so forth. Even the New York Times, when it published a paperback version of the Warren Commission report, had a diagram of the bullet, but it, it doesn't exit the throat. That means you would still have the throat wound to account for. I mean, it's amazing how blatant have been the disproofs of the Warren Commission, Christine, and yet many people think they would like to believe it, but they have never really looked at the evidence. Now, David Mantic took a patient with similar chest and neck dimensions that JFK had created a CAT scan and plotted the official trajectory. And it's not even anatomically possible because cervical vertebrae intervene. In other words... Uh, what they did with the magic bullet is ask Arlen, have Arlen Specter ask the physicians who knew better the following hypothetical question, which boils down to this. If we assume the bullet entered the back of the base of the neck, if we assume it transited without hitting any bony structures, if we assume it came out the front of the neck, would that be consistent with describing the wound at the front of the neck as a wound of exit, which, of course, is trivially true. I mean, if you make those assumptions... It's impossible that it not be true. So that Malcolm Perry, for example, who knew much better, said, uh, uh, yes, uh, that was correct, but he was not in the position to vouch for or verify the assumptions he had been asked to make, which, in fact, were fantastic. He knew they weren't true. Spectre didn't ask him, what did you see? What did you observe? What kind of wound, which Malcolm Perry had already described three times as a wound of entry during the Parkland press conference. David has proven it's not, not even anatomically possible, which is why Spectre included the claws passing through the neck without hitting any bony structures. And why, when they do these reconstructions of the magic bullet on ABC, Discovery, History Channel, what have you, they use a simulation, a stand-in for JFK that's missing a crucial anatomical feature. It has no backbone, which is ironic because the reason JFK was taken out was precisely because he did have backbone. Mm. Oh, that's, well, that leads me to, that leads me to two, well, to two points. Number one, um, of course, Using the corporate media, using the news, uh, the Walter Cronkites, the ABC News, the uh, oh, there was a, a, a one journalist that uh, very disturbed when I found out was it Dan Rather? Yeah, Dan Rather. There was that is something that he Dan Rather has something to do with this. <laughs> but um, the question is, is when you mentioned about uh, JFK's backbone, so to speak, who and, and 
maybe you don't know, but who on earth would want lovely John F. Kennedy dead? Who who um, who would want to see him dead? Well, I've I've given so many presentations. I, I'm glad to spell this out because it's crucial that you differentiate between the sponsors, the individuals and groups who wanted him out, primarily on the basis of policy differences between JFK and LBJ. The mechanics, the actual shooters on the ground, their supervisors and coordinators, where I've identified six of the shooters by name, rank, and serial number from where they fired the effects their bullets had, whether they were hits or misses, where their supervisors, and this may astonish you, include George Herbert Walker Bush, which is why he was opposing the release of these documents. He was actually in the Daltec supervising an anti-Castro Cuban by the name of Nestor Tony Escadro, who was using a manlicker Carcano, a World War II antique weapon known as a humanitarian rifle for never harming anyone on purpose, firing three shots uh, without uh, uh, being silenced. In other words, all the other weapons in Dealey were silenced, but for this manlicker Carcano, which is in suitable proximity to the book depository, could set up the acoustical impression of three shots having been fired, and it would be very difficult, virtually impossible, auditorily to distinguish between the, the location from which they were actually fired in the Dal Tex and the, and the sixth floor of the book depository, the assassin's lair from which no shots were fired at all. I mean, it's really fascinating. So that, it, 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 and where, uh, uh, Edward Lansdale, who was an Air Force general responsible for assassinations all over the world, appears to be the party who positioned the shooters and determined the sequence in which the shots would be taken. We have photos of Lansdale and Dealey Plaza walking past the so-called three tramps, whom I've now come to believe were fallback patsies. I got to know one of them, the third, often misidentified as E. Howard Hunt. His name actually, Chauncey Marvin Holt. He prepared 15 sets of Ford Secret Service credentials for use in and around Dealey Plaza at the instruction of his CIA handler, Philip Twombly. Uh, 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 we have another photograph of Bush in front of the book depository. We have a third photograph where Lansdale's waiting to speak to Bush. Bush, ironically, was arrested coming out of the Dal Tex by an officer, uh, uh, R.E. Vaughn, who, who he identified himself as an independent Houston oil man, which was his CIA cover story. They took him downtown and questioned him and then released him, and he wound up back in front of the book depository where I discovered his presence there in a photograph in Jesse Curry's paperback called the Jesse Curry's JFK Assassination File, where when Curry uh, retired from being chief of police of Dallas, he became the head of security for 7-Eleven stores. So this book was only sold in 7-Eleven stores. Uh, and uh, when I was pouring through, I noticed a photograph with this very familiar figure, tall, lanky, hand in his pocket, head at this distinctive angle. It was George H.W. Bush. I believe I was the first to identify him in that photograph. But it's all consistent with, you know, when he became the head of the CIA, they claimed he was uh, the first time a civilian was put in charge, but that was uh, a complete uh, poppycock. He'd actually been in charge of the Bay of Pigs invasion, which was codenamed Operation Zapata. The Bush oil family drilling company was Zapata. I believe had it been a success, they would have had the concession to drill all over the Caribbean basin. Two of the ships were rechristened, one Houston, the other Barbara, just before the invasion. It turns out, by the way, that Castro knew we were coming. The Soviets had learned the, the, the date of the invasion. The CIA had learned the Soviets knew. Castro knew the only one who didn't know was JFK. 
because they were setting him up for a bait and, spit and switch. They knew this ragtag bag wasn't going to band uh, uh, gang uh, wasn't going to be successful. That Castro would round him up. He thought that JFK, the young and experienced president, would be confronted with the alternatives of sending in the Marines or taking egg on his face, and they were astonished when he chose to take responsibility rather than send in the Marines. So Bush was deeply involved in the CIA, deeply involved in the assassination. The key player uh, turns out to have been Lyndon Johnson, however, who forced himself on the ticket in Los Angeles in 1960. JFK had already invited Stuart Symington of Missouri to be his running mate, but gave him overnight to think about it. Bobby went by the Johnson suite to extend a pro forma or courtesy offer and was dumbfounded when Lyndon jumped on it using information provided to him by J. Edgar Hoover. He threatened to reveal that Jack has suffered from Addison's disease, wasn't expected to live a long, healthy life, that he had had dalliances, some of whom were with beautiful women who were spies for East Germany, and both of those were true. And and uh, third, he said that if he were not on the ticket, then in his position as a powerful majority leader, he'd block, uh, bottle up any legislative proposals sent down by the White House, which would be dead on arrival. Uh, Bobby and Jack tried to figure a way out of it, but Lyndon had them boxed in, and they had to accede to his demand. When one of Lyndon's wealthy uh, financial backers Learned about this, he burst into the Johnson suite cursing and swearing because now LBJ was going to help JFK become president. Bobby Baker took him into a bedroom and explained to him what they had in mind. He came out all smiles and said he thought that was an excellent plan. Bobby would later declare in public JFK would not live out his first term and that he would die a violent death. In fact, Lyndon Johnson sent his chief administrative assistant, Cliff Carter, down to Dallas to make sure all the arrangements were in place for the assassination. Now, when you look at the various sponsors, you see the facilitators were Lyndon in, in bringing together the forces, I mean, tying together the CIA, the military, the, 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 the Secret Service, uh, with Edgar, who was a close personal friend and the godfather to one of his children, where Edgar used the FBI to tidy it up, where, for example, they didn't even interview the 10 closest witnesses to the Kennedy limousine, where others, they didn't ask important questions to which they had the answer. If any information got into the transcript or the record they didn't want, they simply changed the transcript. When you look at the sponsors, they included the CIA. JFK was threatening to shatter the agency into a thousand pieces. He'd already directed that its covert ops be supervised by the Pentagon. Neither of those parties was happy about it. The Joint Chiefs were upset. Because Jack had not invaded Cuba, contrary to their unanimous recommendation, he'd signed an above-ground test ban treaty with the Soviet Union against their unanimous opposition. Now he was going to pull our forces out of Vietnam, where the chiefs thought uh, 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 we had to take a stand against the expansion of international godless communism. The anti-Castro Cubans were upset because they felt Jack had betrayed them at the Bay of Pigs, uh, which was false, but it was an impression the agency let stand because they didn't want their wrath or hostility to be directed toward the CIA. The mafia, of course, wanted Jack out because Bobby was bringing more indictments and convictions than ever before in history. Uh, just as Edgar had sex dossiers on the members of Congress, the mafia had a sex dossier on Edgar, including photographs of him in a compromising position with his close personal friend Clyde Tolson. 
so that Edgar wasn't even able to acknowledge the existence of organized crime until after the Joe Velocci hearings, in which it was detailed, the structure of the Cosa Nostra with such detail and precision, it could no longer be politically denied. The Eastern establishment surrounding the Fed was upset because Jack had had the Department of the Treasury print United States notes, which had a red embossed imprint. Uh, uh, I remember as a young Marine Corps officer holding one of these bills in my hand and noticing the difference, the red embossed imprint saying United States note, uh, uh, where uh, he thought it was absurd for the government to be paying interest to a consortium of private banks for publishing the currency of the United States. Uh, and where uh, the Texas oilmen were upset because Jack was threatening to uh, cut the oil depletion allowance, a massive tax write-off on the ground that since they were pumping oil out of the ground and it was a finite resource, they were putting themselves out of business. It was uh, frankly absurd. We have no more known oil reserves today than we ever have before in history. And last but not least, Israel. Uh, because Jack was at loggerheads with David Ben-Gurion, a founder and a then prime minister of Israel, over their desire to develop nuclear weapons. Uh, Jack was opposed to it, wanted inspections at Demona. Uh, in fact, Ben-Gurion appears to have resigned after instructing the Mossad to participate or assist in the assassination of JFK. So when you, when you sort out the difference between the, the, the sponsors who wanted Jack out, primarily except in the case of the anti-Castro-Cubans for policy reasons, the mechanics, the actual shooters or supervisors and coordinators, and the facilitators who are the key players, you get some clarity. Plus, I would observe that once you understand uh, the, the way in which the cover-up was executed, you can start eliminating candidates. For example, the KGB might have had the same ability to alter a film as the CIA, but there was no way they could have got their hands on a, a copy of the Zapruder. The mafia could not have extended its reach into Bethesda Naval Hospital to alter x-rays under control of medical officers of the U.S. Navy, agents of the Secret Service, or and the president's personal physician. And... and uh, 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 the other candidates, uh, oh, the anti-Castro-Cubans, I mean, they, they, they could not have substituted someone else's brain for the brain of JFK. I mean, uh, just yeah. looking at the evidence by an argument of elimination, you realize it's a very small group, and it's indeed the one that Noel Twyman, in his brilliant book, uh, Bloody Treason, published already in 1997, had identified, namely, collusion between JF, uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson, J. Edgar Hoover, the American military, where they stole the body from Parkland Hospital to get it under military control so they could alter it, change the x-rays, change the photographs, and so forth. And, of course, uh, the, the CIA and the mafia. So, uh, the, Lyndon would go to the White House and schmooze with the Secret Service, Christine. He made himself very friendly with them. They resented the fact that JFK had lots of dalliances with, with women. I mean, he was quite a womanizer, but he really wasn't much of a lover Angie Dickinson, for example, said that her affair with JFK was the greatest 15 seconds of her life. <laughs> so the fact of the matter is, you know, when you look at the big picture, that's what's crucial. I have a two-hour overview that reviews all this on the, the Brian Rue, R-U-H-E show. So if you just put in the name Brian Rue, R-U-H-E, comma, JFK, you'll have access to all the evidence, everything I'm describing here and now with you. Uh, and for folks that are just tuning in, this is Out of the Box Radio. My guest this hour is Jim Fetzer. 
He is, uh, well, he is, uh, as you can tell, a certified expert on the JFK assassination. And he's in, in, been involved in, I, I said earlier, hundreds of conferences. I'm going to say probably thousands at this point, multiple books. Um, but, uh, before we go on, Jim, is there a way for people to um, to get a hold of some of the stuff that you've written? Do you have a website or is it, or do you have a, a book you want to throw out for people? Well, to- but my, three, my three original books are, are, are interesting in many different ways. For example, Vince Bugliosi, the celebrated prosecutor of Charles Manson, who published a book, Helter Skelter, about it, where Charlie has just gone to his uh, just desserts for those who believe in heaven and hell. I don't think he's going to be comfortable I'm uh, an agnostic myself, but I think the world is glad that this uh, this uh, monster is no longer uh, dwelling among us. Vincent Bucliosi did a 1,500-page tomb trying to resurrect the Warren Commission entitled Reclaiming History, uh, where he observed in passing that mine were the only exclusively scientific books ever published on the assassination. Now, those would be available on Amazon.com, but I think maybe now only in a Kindle edition. I have a brand new book, however, my fourth book, just published this year, just a few months ago, entitled JFK, Who, How, and Why, which has uh, 16 contributors. This brings you abreast of the current state of research on JFK, with one exception that developed this weekend I'll tell you about momentarily, so that you can find my books Since I retired after a 35-year career as a college professor offering courses primarily in logic, critical thinking, and scientific reasoning, in 2006 I've been devoting myself to, you know, studying the cases where the government has been perpetrating frauds on the American people. It's quite a wide range of issues. Uh, we have a brand new book on Charlottesville, for example, which was a complete sham. It was a two, we had two cars, two drivers, two or even three tra- takes. I tried to alert the university of, the, uh, of what was going on, but they took no interest. Anyway, we have a brand new book on Charlottesville. Uh, we have previous books on the the Boston bombing. We have books on uh, Sandy Hook. We have books on the moon landing. Uh, we have books on Orlando, Dallas. I mean, go to moonrockbooks.com and poke around and see what you find of interest, but in particular in relation to JFK. Uh, this is the only book that explains how they altered the Zapruder film, including there's over a, a thousand photographs in this book, including 486 frames from the Zapruder film, Christina. How, how the, the crucial role of the Alchin 6 photograph, this is a, a most famous photograph taken by Associated Professor press photographer James Ike Alchins, who uh, it, it caught Lee Oswald in the doorway, as we've been able to confirm, in which we reaffirmed during this uh, conference this last weekend in Dallas, which was uh, organized by Judith Very Baker, who is Judith Very, was Lee Oswald's girlfriend in New Orleans the summer before. She's published a book about it entitled Me and Lee, which has been uh, attacked by the, 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 the government because they don't want people to realize that Lee Oswald actually had been working for the government, that he was recruited by the Office of Naval Intelligence when he was a recruit in San Diego, where I would subsequently serve as a series commander and have 15 DIs and 300 recruits under my command. Uh, he would then be stationed at Atsugi, our most secure base in Japan. He'd conduct a pseudo-defection to the Soviet Union, because he'd been a radar operator, he knew the altitude at which these U-2 overflights were taking place, which he was able to provide to the Soviets at the request of the CIA. Khrushchev and Eisenhower were going to have a summit intended to reduce Cold War tensions. 
But Khrushchev uh, accused Eisenhower of spying on the Soviet Union. Eisenhower denied it, and Khrushchev was able to produce a pilot, Gary Francis Power, who had not taken his cyanide tablet, and parts of the U-2, which they'd been able to shoot down. Lee would marry the niece of a KGB colonel and return to the United States, where he was not treated as though he had been a, a, a traitor, but rather met by a CIA front organization, gave him money to relocate where, where uh, Marina wound up in Dallas with a family with ties to the CIA who would a- later assist in getting him a job at the book depository just two weeks before the assassination, where he went to New Orleans and was uh, photographed, for example, handing out pamphlets for the Fair Play for Cuba Committee in an effort to sheep dip him, to give him the false persona of a pro-Castro communist sympathizer they would use to frame him in Dallas subsequently for the assassination. Now, what we have here this last, so, so you can go to moonrockbooks.com. You can also go to my blog at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com, where my latest blog reflects the blockbuster developments here. Uh, the title, uh, JFK, Bethesda Autopsy Photos, Not JFK, Oswald Frame, Warren Report a Sham, where I report new research where we took photographs that had appeared in Robert Groden's book, The Killing of a President, published in uh, 1994, widely regarded as a definitive treatment of the photographic evidence in the death of JFK, where he has long since touted a couple of autopsy photographs of the president uh, as being, you know, uh, uh, crucial to the understanding. Well, we have done a superposition of the profile of JFK over the autopsy photographs, and it's not the body of JFK, in other words, the autopsy photographs that were used and and distributed as authentic or not, they're not even the body of JFK. That's one of the blockbuster findings. We also confirmed there previous research by Larry Rivera, who's been doing a brilliant job of using computer technology to analyze and investigate cases of this kind. Uh, where, for example, using computer technology, we were able to prove that Noah Posner, the most famous of the children who allegedly died at Sandy Hook, was actually made up out of photographs of the person who was supposed to be his older stepbrother, Michael Vabner, when he was a child. We've been able to prove it. Larry did, Larry did an overlay where you can see Noah Posner turn into Michael Vabner. I mean, it's truly shocking. You can find that one on my blog at Sandy Hook Charade. Noah Posner was Michael Vabner as a child. In fact, that's one of two books of mine, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, that have been banned by Amazon.com because they blow the official story out of the water. That one has 13 contributors, including six current or retired Ph.D. college professors. Other contributors include Paul Preston, who was a superintendent of schools in the L.A. area, who has actually supervised drills of this kind, who was so bothered by what he saw being broadcast from Newtown that day that he reached out to his contacts in the Obama Department of Education, all of whom confirmed to him that it had been a drill, that no children had died, and that was done to promote gun control. We even have the FEMA manual for the two-day exercise with a rehearsal on the 13th going live on the 14th of 2012, Many of the participants became confused and put up donation sites already on the 13th, the day before the shooting. Adam Lanza, the the fictional shooter, even had his death recorded in the Social Security uh, death index as having died on the 13th. 
making his feet and shooting 20 kids and, and six adults the following day all the more remarkable. So it, it, Larry has done brilliant work on the man in the doorway, because in the Alchins, in the background, there's this area where many have believed that the figure who's peering out was Lee Oswald. We'd previously established he had the right height, weight, build, clothing, shirt, T-shirt, that Lee Oswald was wearing when he was arrested. Uh, they were so concerned about the similarity in the photograph, they had him take out his outer, outer shirt, which was a long sleeve, richly textured shirt that he'd purchased in Russia. Uh, Marina would eventually tell Ed Tatro that she remembered having laundered that shirt. But they took it off and photographed him as mugshot in a T-shirt so people wouldn't notice the resemblance. The government has maintained that it was a co-worker of, of, of uh, Lee's, Billy Lovelady, who was uh, the person, the figure in the doorway. And during the Warren Commission, they went through a lot of convoluted moves to try to make that plausible. Harold Weisberg, in his Whitewash series already in 1966, pointed out in the second volume, Photographic Whitewash, in the last few pages, how the Warren staff was going out of their way to try to uh, uh, show that it wasn't Oswald in the doorway, when in fact it was even Jim Garrison, who was a key figure in Oliver Stone's film JFK, had long since concluded it was Lee in the doorway. Well, we, we not only knew from the height-weight build shirt and T-shirt that it wasn't Billy. Billy himself said it was odd they'd be confused because he was two to three inches shorter, 15 to 20 pounds heavier, probably closer to 30 pounds. He'd actually gone to the FBI on the 29th of February wearing the shirt he'd worn on that occasion, which was a short-sleeved, red-and-white, vertically-striped shirt. Looked nothing at all like the shirt on Doorman. I mean, so what they did was they obfuscated the photograph. They put a figure in, behind Lee. It was also in front of Lee, so the, the Doorman, so that Doorman is missing his left shoulder, which is an anatomical impossibility. And they, Billy had raised his hands up to protect his uh, eyesight from the sun, so they obfuscated his shirt. I mean, it's obvious he's wearing a short sleeve shirt, but the fact that it was vertically striped would have stood out. So I completely whited it out. Larry has been able to do overlays that show not only are the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the T-shirt the same as Lee, but that the facial features are those of Lee Oswald, not those of Billy Lovelady. He's also been able to confirm that Billy Lovelady was indeed the figure with his hands raised. He's done a reconstruction of what the doorway area would have looked like had it been colorized, and you would have seen Billy standing out with his vertically striped red and white short sleeve shirt. So this is all in that blog. But in addition... But in addition, we've been able to prove that the backyard photographs where Jim Mars and I had published an article entitled Framing the Patsy, the case of Lee Harvey Oswald. We've gone through the backyard photograph where Lee is shown holding a man liquor carcano. He's got a, a, a pistol belt with a revolver with which he's alleged to have shot Officer J.D. Tippett. He's holding two communist newspapers, a worker and the militant. We'd already gone through the plane, explain all the evidence that this was faked. When he was shown one of these photographs, Lee Oswald said that was his face pasted on someone else's body and he'd be able to prove it because he knew something about photography. Well, he didn't live to see the day, but Jim Mars and I did, building on the research of, of Jack White and even of Judith Very Baker, who's proven quite brilliant at research. Uh, he has a, a square jaw. It's not, uh, it's not Lee Oswald's more tapered jaw. There's an insert line between the jaw and the lower lip. 
uh, the face is the same across three or four. There are like four of these photographs, and the face is identical, which is an optical impossibility. The fingertips of the right hand are cut off. Jack White knew that these newspapers have a known dimension, so you can use it as a ruler from the bottom of the sole of the foot to the top of the head. When you do that, turns out the guy standing in for Lee is too short, only five foot six, or else when Lee was about five ten, or else they introduced the newspapers too large when they fabricated the photograph, which is exactly what they did. Jim Mars and I had already concluded, based upon the chin, the height, the weight, the build, and a funny bump on the forearm of the right arm, uh, that it had been Roscoe White, who was a Dallas police officer, who actually his son discovered his diary, he was working for the CIA. He appears to have been the stand-in for Lee Oswald, as Jim Mars and I already concluded. Well, Larry found a suitable photograph of Roscoe White, and was able to impose it, and it's an exact fit. There's no doubt this is Roscoe White. So the, what we presented here at this conference this last weekend completely blows the case apart. The body, <coughs> the body that is photographed in the Bethesda autopsy photographs is not the body of JFK. We have a, a question of whether it could be the officer who was shot in Dallas, J.D. Tippett, who bore a striking resemblance to JFK. We've been able to prove so far that it's not JFK. We have not been able to prove yet that it's Officer J.D. Tippett, but there's a longtime student of JFK, Robert Morningstar, who's insisted for decades that actually they use Tippett instead of JFK. We'll see if we can prove it to be the case or not. That is future research. But he's also shown, you know, confirmed now, uh, beyond any doubt, that Lee Oswald was standing in the doorway, which not only means he cannot have been the lone demented gunman, but he cannot have even been one of the multiple shooters, and that the backyard photographs were fabricated by pasting his face on someone else's body, where the body double for him turns out to be this uh, NYPD uh, police, uh, uh, police officer, Roscoe White. So that's the latest, Christine. I mean, I'm telling you, this is the current state of research on JFK. The whole official government cover-up has been blown apart forever. And and yet, and this should be, you know, this should be front-page news. This should be covered on all the media. I have a feeling that this week there's going to be, um, again, the carting out of the picture of Lee Harvey Oswald with the, the rifle and the manifesto. Um, a reiteration of that this um, lone gunman, it's just a retelling of the story time and time again. But yet, um, thanks to thanks to podcasts, thanks to the to the to the Web, uh, the World Wide Web, people are seeking out this information for themselves. But um, my my question to you is, is do you think, uh, Jim Fetzer, do you think that this will ever come out fully as being a, a coordinated assassination from elements within the the government, and um, and oh my other and my other question because I, I really wanted to get your uh, opinion on this. Um, Trump supposedly had released um, some JFK files. I I don't know. I just had heard about it. Have you taken a look at it? Is everything redacted? What do you think about that? Well, here's the thing. You see, when they created the Assassination Record Review Board in 1992. There was a 25-year deadline, which brings it to 2017 for the release of all the documents. Trump was appealed to by the CIA, didn't want them all released, but he went ahead and released them anyway. We're still going through them, but there are some gems there. For example, 
It turns out that the mayor of Dallas, Earl Cabell, uh, uh, the, the brother of Charles Cabell, uh, the uh, three-star l- lieutenant general in the Air Force, who was deputy director of the CIA at the Bay of Pigs, whom JFK dismissed, along with the other deputy director, Richard Bissell, uh, because of the way in which they'd set him up for the bait-and-switch, uh, uh, joined the CIA in 1956. Earl Cabell, the mayor of Dallas at the time of the assassination, had joined the CIA in 1956. Uh, now, in that capacity, he supervised the, the police department, uh, motorcade, ceremonial activities. He was deeply involved in all of this. We have another revelation coming from uh, uh, an informant that the KGB uh, in 1965 was requesting all the information that would be available about Lyndon Johnson, his background, his history, his associates, his sources of funding and all that, because the KGB had now concluded that Lyndon Johnson was responsible for the death of uh, John F. Kennedy. And, of course, that's exactly right. Now, the reason you're not hearing about it is because the CIA, through what's called Operation Mockingbird, has been infesting the media massively uh, so that as, as early as 1975, William Colby, then its director, testified to Congress that the agency owned everyone a significance in the media, At that time, there was no alternative media, so they owned everyone a significance in the media. Carl Bernstein published an article for Rolling Stone entitled The CIA and the Media, in which he reported that the uh, highest officials of the agency were boasting that their greatest successes had been with Time Life, the New York Times, and CBS. And that in that era, Christine, if you controlled Time Life, the New York Times, and CBS, you had a lock on news in the United States. So that, you know, the situation has only become worse. And this is why, of course, the, the, the mainstream doesn't publish the truth. Uh, and, and Will Rogers, who observed that, you know, uh, you're better off not reading the newspapers because if you read the newspapers, your beliefs are all going to be false and that you're worse off having the false beliefs than you're having true ones. The government has been going nonstop to try to prevent information about the assassination from coming out. But, you know, I mean, this latest book is a perfect example. I had my first book, Sandy Hook, a banned by Amazon.com less than a month after it went on sale. It had sold nearly 500 copies. This is 22 October 2015, banned on 19 November 2015, because it blows the case apart. They had 20 books on Sandy Hook, 19 of which agree with the government account, only one that takes exception. So they banned that a book. I therefore immediately release it for free as a PDF. If you just go to your bro- browser and type in "Nobody Died at Sandy Hook," you can download for free the PDF of the book, and you'll have all the pictures in resplendent color, including 50 where they're furnishing an empty house to be the Adam Lanza resident. You can tell this is a fraud. This isn't a real home that's been lived in because there's nothing on the walls. No photographs, no paintings, no pictures, nothing on the walls at all. Uh, we also have 50 of them refurbishing the school, which had been closed since 2008 because it was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards damaged by hurricanes. There was a big flood in the area in 2007. You can even tell it was not a legally operating school from uh, photographs of the parking lot taken on the, 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 the 14th of December 2012 because there's no handicapped parking. I checked the laws in Connecticut and federal. They, they had to have the familiar blue and white painted parking areas, blue and white signage. 
they had the whole school had to be handicap accessible, but we have entries and exits, a wooden stairway that no wheelchair could navigate that prove it could not have been legally operating on 14 December 2012, just from looking at a photograph of the parking lot. We also know that because the ground temperature that day was 28 degrees, it was below freezing, to have children in attendance, they would have had to heat the school. But the boilers were so decrepit, they were non-functional, they weren't able to heat up the school. So even though you can see exhaust from automobiles in other photographs, there's no heat or steam rising from the building. A second proof, the third is... All the vehicles in the Santa Rosa Park facing the school. That's ridiculous. The driving instructions have you come in from Dickinson Drive, turn right, curl around, and then park facing away. But it was much simpler just to bring them in in a single line and put them in two by two by two by two facing the school, which is what they did. Another proof that the whole thing was an elaborate hoax. Well, now you can download the book for free as a PDF. Just go to, just put in Nobody Died at Sandy Hook. And, and you have to confront the reality. The government is perpetrating these frauds on the American people again and again and again. This was a Barack Obama, Eric Holder, Daniel Malloy, Newtown School Board, synthetic families that were created just for this event. They, the, the parents weren't allowed to see the children's bodies in the school for the excellent reason there were no bodies there. They showed them photographs for the excellent reason they only existed in photographs. As I've mentioned already, they... They manufactured the children out of photographs of older kids when they were younger. We noticed in the beginning that the photographs of the kids seemed to show they were wearing clothing that was 10 years out of date. That's because that's what they were doing. They were manufacturing photographs out of kids that were 10 years before. Christine, it's just outrageous, but the American people need to understand how they've been duped again and again and again, which is why I think it's so important for me to bring together experts on Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing. Uh, Orlando, Dallas, uh, even the moon landing, which was also a fraudulent event for political reasons. The United States was embarrassed when the Soviets put up Sputnik. Uh, JFK promised to go to the moon. He was never told it wasn't even possible. We didn't have the propulsion power. We didn't have the computing power. NASA recently announced that the Van Allen radiation belt was the greatest obstacle to a manned mission to Mars. Well, the Van Allen radiation belt has been around for four and a half billion years as long as Earth. If it's an obstacle now, it's an obstacle then. Uh, the fact is they recently found a treasure trove of moon landing uh, video, which would have been priceless had it been real, which NASA destroyed because with modern techniques you can expose the fakery in the videos. And get this, Christine, this is almost hilarious. NASA has put out a $20,000 reward for assistance in solving its space poop problem. Right now, they can only handle human <laughs> excrement up to 14 days, Christine, which is stunning because these moon missions took over a week, seven or eight days. But they could only handle 14 days, which is proof that the whole space program and the claims we landed on the moon are nothing but a massive, gigantic pile of space poop. <laughs> what a great way to end the show on space poop, Jim Fetzer. <laughs> Oh, my God. I, you know, um, in, and it seems not only uh, with, uh, of course, with JFK and Bobby Kennedy and so many of these um, uh, tragic of events that have that have happened and have shaped policy, right, have shaped how we this this continual war uh, machine that that happens time and time again. I know also with the work that you've done also on 9-11, 
uh, the drills that were happening on 9-11, the drills that seem to be happening. Whenever there's a drill, um, I, I want folks to just, you know, uh, perk up and be aware. Whenever there's a drill, there's something, something's not, not, not kosher. Christine, is- I, I'm, I'm already beginning editing a book on Las Vegas. It was a movie. They had a pre-recorded soundtrack. They played over the amplifier system of actual machine guns. Even hearing bullets strike the ground, no real shots were fired. They had coordinated visual effects of flashing lights to simulate a machine gun above it, three, three light blasts to simulate American weapons. They had seated the crowd with crisis actors. They'd been recruiting 15 days in advance to react on cue so everyone would run. We have so much proof that nobody died, that the patients in the hospitals were fake. American military surgeons said they were all actors. None of them had suffered a wound. An American trauma surgeon observed they weren't even connected to the diagnostic equipment that monitors their blood pressure and condition. We've looked at 33 videos. There's lots of sounds of shots, no actual shots. And we have brilliant work on the obituaries discovering that case after case after case is based upon someone who died in a different state or on a different date or from a different cause of death. Wow. Wow. Um, folks, I, I, I hope you I hope your, your brain is probably right now spinning and spinning and spinning. That's a good thing. We want you to go check out the work that Jim Fetzer has done. You can go to James Fetzer blog. JamesFetzer.blogspot.com. You can also go to MoonRockBooks.com, uh, and I encourage you to ch- to check them out and look um, also on Amazon for the work of Jim Fetzer. Again, uh, thank you so very much. On this week, marking the 54th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, and giving us so much more, Jim Fetzer. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks, Christine. My great pleasure. And, folks, I want to remind you that if you never want to miss an episode of Out of the Box Radio, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, or better yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel. When you subscribe to that, you can send the shows to friends and family, post it on your social media. It's just a much easier way to get the information out. Until next week, I want to remind you to always think outside of the box. Bye for now. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com.